Good morning, and uh, get to come back and the opportunity to open God's Word with you again. Um, the first topic I had was the easy one of giving, and now I have the second easiest assurance of salvation. So, <laughs> but uh, it is a uh, it is a wonderful topic. It is a wonderful doctrine, but throughout church history, it has been a challenge for believers to come to an assurance of their salvation. And for that reason, we understand that it is not just a doctrinal thing we're teaching. You know, it is a pastoral thing. It is a shepherding thing. We want, and God wants you to, to have assurance of your salvation if you are saved. It is a wonderful thing, and it's one thing that God has uh, granted us, has gifted us, and we can have that. And so we want that for you. When you don't have that, and you are a believer, you struggle. You struggle with sin like we all do, but then sometimes we go ahead and like, well, I'm probably not saved anyway, and so it may, th- may make things worse, and so... It's very important to walk through that and think through that. We're going to look at a lot of different aspects of it. Um, been given four weeks to, to talk about it, and so I just want to be careful. I, I don't want to cause anyone to doubt your salvation, and yet I don't want to give anyone any false assurance as well. And so know this as we begin. I am convinced that no human being can give you assurance of your salvation. Only God can do that. I can encourage you when I see evidences of fruit in your life, and we can do that for one another. We can share the truth of the gospel with you. We can come to each other with tentative rebukes as we see sin in our lives and question where we might see things are there and and open God's word with you and, and help in those ways. But just know that I'm not here to give you assurance, but I'm here to help you find it if you have it. And if you don't, I want you to know. So, let's start out on a positive note. <laughs> and let's stand and sing a hymn about the assurance of salvation based on 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed. Amen. You may be seated. That is the summary of the teaching. And I hope that we all come to that point where we truly, like Paul, in our memory verse, in 2 Timothy 1.12, says this, For this reason I also suffer all things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And we can sing that with full hearts of assurance of salvation. So we want to get this settled in our hearts just like other things. And by way of introduction, we are, are going to look at a lot of different aspects of uh, assurance, try to answer some of the questions of can a true Christian lose their salvation? How can we know if we are truly born again? Or does God even want his children to know that they can be secure in their salvation? And the answer is yes. But the thing is, we look at passages that say things like a person who has been exposed to the church and all of these things and can fall away from grace. What about those who 
don't endure to the end and are like the shaft and burned up. Questions like, is there anything that will keep us from falling away from Christ? Any guarantee that we will remain Christians until we die and that we will, in fact, live with God in heaven forever? Some people doubt that, even believers. But why would anyone doubt this? We'll look at that and help us to find ways to either find assurance or to find salvation. Because doubt is real. Most believers have doubted their salvation at one point in their life. And some continue to. Some believers spend their whole life never having assurance. But we hope that that doesn't happen here. And we hope that you can grow in that. It is something that you can grow in. It is something that you can be more and more assured of. And more hopeful in. We're also going to look at things like what has been taught in the churches about this. In a variety of churches, a variety of denominations, a variety of different seminaries and things like that. Um, There have been some different teachings on assurance as well. And things like, is the phrase once saved, always saved a true statement? Or is it a statement that's been abused? Or is it like being an evangelical? What is that today? What about the term eternal security? Should we use that? Is that a biblical concept? And can someone have a false assurance of their salvation? So so those are some of the questions we're going to be answering and, and working through. As we look at the doctrine of the assurance of salvation. And when we think about doctrine, we need to understand that it's not something that the elders put together on a statement that they put back in a booklet on the back of the church. That's not our just statement of faith. A doctrine is from didaskalos, which just means teaching. It's, It's what the Bible teaches, and we put together what we believe the Bible teaches, right, in a systematic way. We study all of those things on assurance, and we put those all together and say, this is what we believe God teaches about assurance, about salvation, about perseverance, and all kinds of things, right? And so it's just the teaching of the Bible, and some doctrinal statements will say, this is what we teach. You know? And so that's all that it is. So when we think about that, it's what the Bible teaches about these things. And the Bible teaches us that we can have assurance of our salvation through an intellectual understanding and an experiential knowledge of the doctrines, the teachings of regeneration, of preservation, and of perseverance. There are a variety of different teachers and and good theologians who would call this different things. Some would call it just assurance. Some would say, well, assurance is good, but really it's the perseverance of the saints. Others, well, it's God preserving us along the way, and and, and those are all true. And, And you can focus on one or the other, and we will focus on each one individually. But I have put it together in this way, in that in, in an intellectual understanding, right? So we have the Word of God that we can read and intellectually, volitionally understand, right? And then we have also the aspect of assurance that God gives us an experiential knowledge of assurance in our life. The Holy Spirit 
convicts us and helps us to see that we are his children. And that's something that only God can do, just as God is the one who regenerates us and gives us faith. And so that's why I say that it's an intellectual understanding and an experiential knowledge of the doctrines of regeneration, preservation, and perseverance. So coming to terms with the terms, right? For those of you who are not theologians, as I wasn't when I went to seminary, I kept my pocket dictionary of theological terms right with me, and when they said some ology, I said, I don't know anything about that, I don't know what you're talking about, and so if you need one of those, I have one, they're wonderful, I still go back to it often. Um, so assurance, we're going to give you a, a theological kind of definition, and then we're going to give you a Fred down on cookies on the lower shelf definition, okay? Everybody can reach him. The divinely given assurance is the divinely given confidence of the believer that he or she is truly saved. And that's fairly straightforward. For me, knowing you have faith in Jesus Christ and you'll go to heaven. It's say the same thing, but just, you know, it's easy for me. All right? Then you have regeneration, as we're going to look at that. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in creating new life in the sinful person which he, by which he repents and comes to believe in Christ. Being born again. Being given a new heart to live for God. Simple way to look at it. If you've been born again, you have a new heart that wants to live for God. And we'll see some of that today. And that's God's, another way of God's assurance. Preservation. It is the teaching that God's saving purpose and limitless power ensure the endurance of the elect to the end. For me, simply, God keeps you from losing your salvation. That's a nice little summary. But the other things are certainly helpful and accurate. And then perseverance. The teaching that those who are genuine believers will endure in faith to the end. Being continually drawn back to faith in the midst of doubts and difficulties. And that's the simple way that I see that. And really that's what we talk about mostly, if you will, in, in the context of assurance is, is perseverance in going forward. Now we have to see what God is doing in preserving us. But that, that perseverance is what we experience. If things are going well, you don't have to persevere. This is nice. You don't have to endure. But when things are difficult and you have doubts and you have trials and you have suffering and you have persecutions and as James says, when you encounter various trials when they just surround you and you don't even know why, that's when perseverance comes in. And you may sin. And you may fall into sin for a little while. And you may not respond rightly. But if God has saved you, you will keep believing and your faith will keep pushing you back to Christ. Because you cannot lose your salvation if you are saved. So the outline we're going to look at over the next four weeks. First is regeneration as the, and the gift of faith. The passage and I put these here just bringing out the, the key parts there because that's what I want us to remember when we doubt, when we struggle, when things are there. 
He caused us to be born again. I have to remember that. Preservation then promised to the regenerate. You're protected by the power of God. You're protected by the power of God. And then preservation through difficulties and doubts of the regenerate. Tribulation brings about perseverance. So when we're there, we remember what God has said. He has caused us to be born again. We are protected by the power of God. And this tribulation is bringing about perseverance. And I will persevere to the end. And the last part, full assurance of the regenerate. God says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And false assurance of the unregenerate, as Paul says, or do you not recognize this about yourselves? As you test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And so as we start out on this path of understanding what God has said, we want to see, does God teach us that assurance is possible? Well, I'm going to tell you that he does, and he does it in a wonderful way, and he does it over and over and over and over again, because the full assurance of salvation is a gracious gift of God, and it can be settled in the hearts and the mind of those who are born again. And our God is compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. He is merciful and he is gracious, and he doesn't want us to struggle and doubt. And so he says things like 1 Peter 1.4, you have an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fed away, it is reserved in heaven for you. And 1 Timothy 1.12, or 2 Timothy 1.12 should be there. For this reason I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. It is God is the one who is doing this, and I just believe that he can. John 10, 27 and 29, our Lord Jesus himself said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you have been drawn to Christ through the Father, if you have been born again, if you have been given to Him, if you are in Christ, no one can take you away from that. And then there's a simple one, John 3.16. Think about this in terms of assurance. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, I want the C's there for, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those are very straightforward, conclusive Satan. You will not perish. You will have eternal life. Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. God wants us to have this. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And Philippians 1.6. Paul is encouraging them, 
But think about this in light of assurance. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I am confident of this. And his focus is on what God is doing. It is he who began a good work in you at regeneration will complete it. That's confidence. He wants us to have that. 1 Peter 1.5 You who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You're going to go to heaven if you are a believer because you are protected by the power of God. And 1 John 5.13 These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's pretty clear that God wants us to know that he shows us how to know and there are many other passages as well that we can look at but we'll see those as we go along through the text here. So God does teach that assurance is possible. But some of you may be thinking, well, I still doubt it. Not, I doubt what the Word of God says in these passages. And not, I doubt that God wants His children to have all of these things. And not that I doubt God is faithful to keep His Word and to save His children and to keep them for all of their lives. I don't doubt the word of God, or the desire of God, or the faithfulness of God, but what I doubt is my own salvation. I can't see those as true yet. I don't know if I can ever have a certain. Because I struggle. I struggle to find assurance because I struggle with sin. And sometimes I struggle with a lot of sin. And sometimes I don't want to do what God says. I don't want to obey His word, I don't want to read the Bible. Sometimes I don't want to pray. And sometimes I just don't want to be around the people of the church. And sometimes when I face a trial or a difficulty in my life, I sin a lot. And so sometimes I don't even think I'm saved. I know this is what God says. And I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't. And so I often doubt. And if that is you, first, just let me say I'm sorry. I have sorrow with you because that is a difficult place to be. But you're here. And God has you here. And I want you to know there's hope. 
And this hope is not found in something you need to change. It is not found in something you need to start doing. It is not found in going home and doing two pages of homework from your biblical counselor. Hope is found in Jesus Christ. Hope for salvation and assurance of salvation is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sin, being buried, raising on the third day, and ascending to heaven. And when you turn to him in faith and find forgiveness for your sins, both initially and as a way of life, then you too have found one of the keys of finding assurance of your salvation. If you do this, and you are doing this, there's hope. There is hope for forgiveness. There is hope for change. And there is hope for coming to a point of settled assurance of your salvation. Because the indwelling Holy Spirit keeps drawing you back by that supernatural faith that God gives you. That desire to please Him just won't go away even though you struggle. And so know that there is hope. There is hope that is found in God's Word. And so as we look at these things... There are those who shouldn't doubt and those who should. Those who shouldn't doubt are trusting in the word of God. You have believed, you have heard the gospel, you understand what God has said, you want to be pleasing to him, you have a faith. At one point, God changed you and gave you a new heart to desire to obey his commandments. And if you don't have assurance, if you doubt, go to God's word. And he will help you to see the truth. These things I have written to you to believe in the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So some of you doubt your salvation and you shouldn't. Just trust in the word of God. And others doubt your salvation, don't doubt your salvation, but you should. And please know that when I say that, it is with the greatest love for your soul. I don't want anyone to to live a life deceived that they are saved. And face the Lord and hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Part of that has come, the false sense of assurance from, instead of trusting in the word, we trust in the traditions of men. Remember I said, I can never give you assurance of your salvation, but only God can. And yet, men throughout the history of the church have tried to give people an assurance of salvation based on something that they came up with. And when I go over these, I want you to understand that Can you be saved through some of these things if the gospel is clearly presented? Yes. But there is a history of false assurance 
and false professions of faith from many of these things that are the traditions of men. Things like altar calls. Jesus is down front at the altar. You walk the aisle, say the prayer, get in the Duncan booth, and you're going to heaven. No repentance or anything else. One man came up with this idea. Write the date in the front of your Bible when you got saved and don't ever question your salvation. If you ever question your salvation or doubt it, go back to that date in the front of your Bible and stop doubting. And sadly, the front of the cover of the Bible is the only part that some people ever open to find assurance. Accept Jesus as Savior, then make Him your Lord later. That's not what the Bible teaches. You can make a profession of faith, they say, and, and say something about Jesus over here, and then later on accept Him as Lord. And we'll see that that's just a confusion of sanctification, progression, and soteriology. There's all kinds of things that are wrong with that, and we'll look at that. Ask Jesus into your heart. I don't know what that means. Going through confirmation. Twelve years old, went through this class, confirmation. Now I'm a member of the church. I in a community and high, big Lutheran presence there, and people just... Go to the funeral and it's like, well, he's a lifetime member of the Lutheran church. I know he's going to heaven. You know he's in heaven. Even though he was the key figure at the bar every night. And last, children's ministries, VBS, with adjusted gospels. The gospel is the gospel for all ages. The age of accountability is when you can understand it and believe it. But there are many children's ministries, youth camps, and things like that that want to dumb it down just to get someone to make a profession of faith. And we'll look at some of those different things in more detail in the weeks to come. But those are some things that we've trusted in the traditions of men for assurance of our salvation. And some things are kind of hard to take, but I've been there. I've heard your testimonies in the waters of baptism. Many of you have been there. And so I'm not causing you to doubt your salvation if you got saved in one of these ways at one of these things. But I'm saying that these are common problems with the church because none of these are found in the Bible. If you have put your faith in Christ today, you have been born again, you have repented and believed, you're saved no matter what happened there. Then confusing and conflicting teachings of the church itself. The Catholics, there's no assurance. The Arminians, you can be saved and not saved. You can even be elected and saved and not saved. It's all over the place there. And then Reformed, whatever that is today. There are some Reformers who believed in assurance. There are some Reformers who didn't. And so not all of these things were worked out. Justification by faith? Absolutely. And then it gets kind of fuzzy. So, but in general, most of the reformers would hold to an assurance of salvation to the end. Perseverance of the saints. That's the tulip, right? 
right? The tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the same. That's P, right? Perseverance of the same. And Arminianism is the, is the daisy, right? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. <laughs> Just speaking biblically from there. But can a believer ever lose their salvation? You may be thinking that or asking about that. Passages that might make us wonder, right? Matthew 24, 13, Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And someone take that as like, well, the opposite then, the one who doesn't won't be, right? No, that's not what he said. John 8, 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. All of those if statements cause people to doubt. John 15, 6, if anyone does not abide in me, continuing to abide in Christ, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So if you don't continue to abide in Christ and abide in his word, then you're going to hell. Is that what he's saying? Colossians 1.23, if, again, indeed you continue in the faith, Firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Wow, that's going to cause doubt. If you continue in the faith, firmly established, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, man, that's hard. What about when I'm struggling in sin? Am I turning away? Am I moving away? Am I not being steadfast? Hebrews 3, 6, Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose we are, house we are, if we hold fast our confidence, the boast of our hope until the end. Verse 10, for we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. And then you have the ones like Hebrews 6, 4, right? The people who fall away. But basically, as a summary here, those are statements that those who endure, those who continue, those who persevere or hold fast, give evidence of being ones who are saved. That's pretty much the summary of all of those different passages. We don't have to go through and exegete each one of them, because you look at the context, he's talking to disciples, he's talking to these people, and there are warnings for us as well. You look at James, it's how we can grow in our faith and do these things, but don't be deceived. The church at Corinth, there are many believers there who are saved out of all kinds of things. But test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And that is God's grace to us. While you're alive, while you're still here, while you can still think and reason and come to faith, do it. Be sure. I want you to be sure, God says. And so be sure. But if you don't, then you should question that and come back. And we're going to look at that later on about what we do when we doubt. Because those things happen. There's Hebrews 4, 6. Warning to believers, as Pastor Randy had said, 6, 4. To unbelievers who are part of the church coming along. We can look at that again. So summary statements on assurance as we continue on here in the introduction. 
Um, here's mine. It is the God-given internal confidence that you have been born again, have an unrelenting faith in Christ Jesus Christ, and will persevere as a Christian until the end of your life and spend eternity in heaven. Grudem says this, it's the internal sense we may have based upon certain evidences in our lives that we are truly born again and will persevere as Christians until the end of our lives. And then MacArthur in the Biblical Doctrine says, the divinely given confidence of the believer that he or she is truly saved. And so those are some, you can pick one that you like the best. They say the same thing, some are more thorough, some are less. And that's just the introduction of what we're going to go through and to give us some terminology and some things like that. And then today we're going to look specifically at the doctrine of regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration. Is regeneration, seeing it as the gift of faith. He caused us to be born again. And if you go to 1 Peter in chapter 1, I just want to read that because it is a summary, if you will, of this assurance, this perseverance that we are going to be looking at. We're going to look at this whole passage in more detail going forward, but just to start us out and give us something to kind of launch from here, in 1 Peter chapter 1, writing to those, verse Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Asia, Bithynia who are chosen. Now, they're scattered, they have been under the persecution of the Jewish religious leaders of Rome, of other things. You see throughout this letter where they're persecuted, they're suffering, they've lost a lot of things. And here he is wanting to assure them of their faith, assure them of their salvation so that they will persevere in the midst of all of these things. And how does he do that? But he says, you who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his grace, his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected by the power of God through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Keep persevering. You have all of this. And he begins there by blessing God. Because of his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And that's where it starts. With the doctrine of regeneration. 
what it is? It's the work of the Holy Spirit creating new life in a sinful person by which he repents and comes to believe in Christ. In John chapter 3 and verse 7, we begin seeing some of this in the New Testament where Jesus is there with Nicodemus, right? Here is Nicodemus. The Pharisee, the teacher of Israel at the time. In John chapter 3, he comes to him at night. And he says, there was a man, John chapter 3 verse 1, there was a man named, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, thank you, that's great. I appreciate that. Thanks for noticing. No, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He knows Nicodemus' true question. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? And by saying that, he is communicating very clearly that Nicodemus should know these things. And all Nicodemus has is the Old Testament. And so it's there. Regeneration, being born again is there. And we've just been through that a few weeks ago with Rod teaching us in Ezekiel. And if you go back to Ezekiel 36, here's what Nicodemus should have known. Ezekiel 36 and verse 25, here's the promise that God has made. He said, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to absorb, observe my ordinances. You're going to be born again. You're going to be regenerated. You're going to have a new life. You're going to stop following your idols. You're going to, as the Thessalonians, you're going to turn from idols to serve the living and true God. God has to do that. God promised to do that. And remember, as Rod taught us, that in the midst of that chapter, you come to verse 24, and he's like, I am going to bring justice. I'm going to defend my holy name. And they're like, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes. And how does he do that? I'm going to be gracious and merciful and cause you to be born again. That's what he does for us. And cause us to walk in his ways. When you're born again, you get a new heart that wants to do what God has said. And that's that experiential knowledge. There's a change you cannot define. All of a sudden you want to read the Bible. You want to go to church. You want to learn more about what Christ has done for you and how you can please Him. 
You want that. And you did not want it before. There's Ezekiel. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says this about it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. And we know it. But you might ask, why do we need it? Can't we just go to church and learn some Bible verses and start trying to be nice to our wife and our husband and you not know, beat our kids too hard and, and you know, and get along with our boss and, you know, and just kind of just try to be better. Can't we just be a good person? Can't we just, you know, pass it on like the billboard says and do those things? Isn't that good enough? No. Because that doesn't deal with our condition, right? Because of our condition of being spiritually dead. We can't go and do all these things that are pleasing to God because we are dead. Spiritually dead. That's why we need to be born again. That's why we need a new life. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says this. And you were dead. God says very clearly to us. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. We were destined for God's wrath. We deserved it because we are sinners by nature. And then we nurtured that sin as well. And all we wanted to do was evil. Romans says this, There was none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And in chapter 8, verse 6, For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It's total inability, it's total depravity, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he says. I'll take him at his word. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised and so we are totally depraved we are dead in our sins we have no ability to come to God no ability to believe the gospel you can go out and you can preach all day long in the cemetery and nobody's going to get saved you're dead they are dead and yet they're walking according to the power of the devil they are dead men walking and they feel the guilt and they feel their conscience not clear And God works in their heart and God draws them to his son and God regenerates them and causes them to believe and gives them faith. And they repent and believe. And so this is why we need regeneration because we are dead. We have no desire for God. How do we receive it? We just said through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. 
Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says this, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit using the inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God, the gospel, to give us faith, to cause us to believe, to give us, grant us repentance, to regenerate us. As Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too will be saved. And hope does not disappoint. But you've got to come to that point where you believe that I need to be born again. I've tried and tried and tried and I keep failing, keep failing, keep failing. And it just doesn't work. There's not enough that I can do. But God, Ephesians chapter 4, or chapter 2. Don't have it on the overhead. He tells us there that we were dead in our trespasses and sin in which we walked according to the course of the world. And then he tells us in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. It is, salvation is a gift of God, and faith is a gift of God. And it took me a while to come to that understanding as I was working through things and thinking about things as I'm going through my Christian life, and then I come to that point, it's like, oh my goodness, that's the answer. Why do I persevere? Why do I have assurance? Because I realize my faith in Christ is a gift from God. I can't lose that. No matter how hard I try. No matter how hard hard my flesh wants me to doubt. It's the gift of God. Not as a revolt of work so that no one may boast. And then we are his workmanship created. Again, that regenerating word. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He had it all planned out. He predestined us. He saved us. He sent someone to proclaim the gospel to us. We repented. We believed. And we go forward. And that's why we go and proclaim the gospel. That's why we believe in election and we believe in the sovereignty of God and we believe in total depravity and we believe in irresistible grace and we believe in perseverance of the saints and we believe that God uses us as his foreordained means to get the gospel out to grow the church. That's why we continue to evangelize. Because they must hear the word of God in order to be saved. And the spirit working and God regenerating, but they must hear it. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that is a wonderful truth that he uses us for his glory. And he gets all the glory. So the conclusion of regeneration, we understand 
what it is, why we need it, and how it happens. So the doctrine of regeneration aids in our assurance of salvation because we know the spiritual life we, he, we, have been give, we have was given to us by God. And the faith we have was created in us by God. So the doctrine of regeneration aids in our assurance of our salvation because we know the spiritual life we have was given to us by God. And the faith that what we have was created in us by God. And that aids in our assurance. I think I have this quote in your notes there. The long quote. There it is. It says, Regeneration is the sovereign act of God by the Holy Spirit through the preached gospel, whereby he instantaneously imparts spiritual life to a sinner, bringing him out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. In the exercise of his sovereign pleasure, God issues an effectual call in the heart of the elect. He powerfully summons the sinner out of his spiritual death and blindness, and by virtue of the creative power of his word, imparts new spiritual life to him, giving him a new heart along with eyes to see and ears to hear and thus enabling him to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. Thus, saving faith is the first and foremost result of regeneration. Isn't that wonderful? That's amazing. So in the end, the gift of assurance and the doctrines of regeneration, preservation, and perseverance take us back to the very essence of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. Nothing more and nothing less. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work in us. Thank you for choosing us, for calling us, for setting us apart, for doing this supernatural work in our heart to give us faith. Give us a heart for Christ, a heart for you, a submission to the Holy Spirit, a love for your word and your people and the lost. Father, we pray that anyone here today who does not have assurance or is not saved, that you would help them, that you would use your word to to help their heart, to comfort them, to strengthen them, or to convict them. We ask, Lord, that you would grant them repentance and they would turn to Christ, see their sin, see that he is the only way to find forgiveness, that you have put the death penalty for our sin on him and he willingly took it. And we are declared not guilty. His perfect life imputed to us, our wretched sinful life, given to him that we would be free have a clear conscience be reconciled to you for all eternity thank you Lord for what you have done for us for going to the cross being dead and buried and raised on the third day ascending to the heaven in all your glory and though we do not see you We long to see you. And though we do not see you, we love you for what you have done in us and continue to do 
in your church for your glory and for our assurance. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.